0: Welcome to The People's Lawyer, a podcast from the National Association of Attorneys General, the nonpartisan organization representing America's Attorneys General. Attorneys General have a unique role as defenders of the public interest and often work collectively on nonpartisan issues that have a wide impact on people's daily lives. In our second season, we've invited Attorneys General from different political parties to discuss how they work together in a bipartisan way to serve their constituents and protect the rule of law this mini episode we're recapping some of the amazing season two conversations between attorneys general about healthcare. in season two episode one we heard from connecticut attorney general william tong and nebraska attorney general doug peterson who discussed the bipartisan efforts of attorneys general to address the rising cost of prescription drugs so um attorney general tong maybe you can talk about um the bipartisan coalition of attorneys general that you led in 2019 um, particularly an antitrust lawsuit against teva pharmaceuticals and um, others of the nation's largest generic drug manufacturers. What can you tell us about the case and why you think that issue is so important?
1: Uh, so, uh, thank you for asking that question. And I think to pick up on what General Peterson said, you know, in my office, we talk a lot about um, how families in Connecticut and Nebraska and across the country are squeezed every single day by the cost of utilities, the costs in your car payments, right? The cost of clothing and, and feeding and educating your children. And one of the biggest pressures, one of the most powerful forces that squeezes us every single day is the cost of healthcare. And, and I think what really, what really perplexes me and general Peterson and so many other Americans is why are prescription drug prices so high? And you know, if we move to a generic drug system or if we open the generic drug market in the 80s, wasn't that supposed to drive prices down? That once drugs come off patent, uh, aren't you supposed to have this robust competition that drives prices down? And so why are the the prices of generic drugs, which account for 90% of the prescriptions in our country, why are those prices going up? And so actually I didn't start this, uh, general Peterson was part of the effort with general Jepsen who was my predecessor and and George you know dared to ask that question what the heck is going on and they started with um, a heart drug called the sent out some civil investigative demands you know didn't know what they'd get and they started pulling that thread which is what we do in these consumer protection cases in antitrust cases and and they discovered, that the generic drug industry uh, is engaged in widespread overt price fixing um, and um, unlawful market allocation where they're splitting up the market amongst themselves uh, unlawfully and and they're getting together to set prices. And they're doing it in a a brazen and highly illegal way, direct communications. we have phone records and emails. Now we we have a diary that we call the Diary of Collusion, where one of the principal players literally recorded uh, his movements in colluding with others. And what we've discovered is um, the generic drug industry is, you know, in our view, the largest corporate cartel in history. And and the reason why prices are so high is because the market is fixed and it's rigged. Uh, And and that's why so many of us are part of this coalition. Um, There are three cases, three separate lawsuits, three different complaints. Um, One of them has 49 states, uh, territories and the district. So it's almost everybody. Uh, And and we're going hard after the generic drug industry for violating our state and, and federal antitrust laws so that we can, Um, we can stop them from price fixing and drive prices down the way the market was supposed to.
0: General Peterson, anything you want to add about that case or others like it?
2: Well, I I really appreciate General Tong's leadership in this. Uh, It really is kind of uh, takes your breath away of how brazen they have been uh, in affecting cost. And what makes a a multi-state effort like this I think so effective is because um, it really allows us to do a thorough investigation and then move forward in a pretty unified front. I mean, this is, as as William mentioned, this really covers every um, citizen that we represent uh, because it's such an important part of our daily lives of reasonable cost for pharmacy uh, uh, prescriptions. So, I I think it's one of those clear examples where we can work in a bipartisan effort and be effective and do
1: you know basically carry out our duty to the people we represent. Yeah, NAG is a big part of that, Doug. Um, one of the very first meetings that I attended, um, I think it was I think it was the NAG meeting uh, in South Carolina right after I got elected, and I walked in the big conference room where all of us, meet. And, and George was still attorney general then, and, um, we were giving an update on the case and, and, um, there were a lot of AGs in the room and a lot of staff. And, um, this is how we, this is how we do our work, right? We, when we can safely get in a room together and, and really work through how we're going to prosecute these cases. And it wouldn't be possible if we didn't have NAG as a platform to make that
3: happen.
0: In Season 2, Episode 8, Minnesota Attorney General Keith Ellison and North Dakota Attorney General Wayne Stenjum discussed prescription drug costs and pharmacy benefit managers.
4: Well, you know, PBMs are part of the overall conversation that we need to have about drug prices. Uh, PBMs, you know, just for folk who may not be familiar, the PBMs means Pharmacy Benefit Managers. These are companies that are supposed to administer the prescription drug programs of health insurance plans. You know, they've been around for a few years and they really were supposed to help squeeze out unnecessary costs. I believe today that they play actually a role in making costs greater than they should be. They they uh, are uh, in a position where they can determine not only what medications people can access, but also how much patients and pharmacies and healthcare plans pay for those drugs. PBMs are adding substantial costs to the healthcare system rather than saving up money, which was their original purpose. The way they do it is that they um, are simply in a position to be that middleman or middle person. They offer a lot of things like you know coupons and other things like that, where if you buy uh, from them uh, or if you engage with them, They'll offer you these benefits that they don't offer other people. So then now you get in the area of price discrimination, uh, and what we really feel is critical that you know we there be regulation of uh, PBMs so that they're transparent, that they really are giving uh, good good value, uh, and that uh, they they are fair to independent drugstores. Now states have taken action and passed legislation. To try to regulate them, make them more transparent, more cost effective. And in some cases, like I believe in North Dakota, where st- the state legislature has passed laws to allow for regulation, the industry has fought back. And uh, many of uh, uh, in, in states have stood up for uh, the regulation and the statutes that states have, uh, have passed. And uh, so, you know, I believe, um, you know, PBM's need regulation. I believe the statutes that we that state legislatures have passed to uh, make them comply with what their original purpose is are are good laws uh, and uh, yet at the same time um, these matters continue to be to be litigated. But I believe you asked me generally about what I'm, what are we doing about pharmaceutical pricing. you know we're a part of uh, several lawsuits, uh, many of, uh, you know, uh, and they're different. One of them is out of Connecticut where General Tong is leading a lawsuit suing generic drug manufacturers who we can prove through their um, their online chats and in text messages and emails that they were, they were dividing up the market and refusing to compete. That's not legal. So that's going on. We're doing that. We got into litigation around in the price of insulin. And one of the things that I did, and, and I think uh, that uh, Wayne could uh, talk to this too, is that when you're the AG, you can convene people to have a conversation. We actually pulled together a group of, 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 of doctors, professionals, pharmacists, university folks, industry people, and ordinary citizens, and we pulled together a, a document um, where we came up with a number of, of, of suggestions where we we came up with a report. And and the bottom line is, you know, this idea of people affording their drugs, I think is one of the most important things that we can do.
5: I wanna thank Keith in just a moment when we talk about our PBM uh, legislation and litigation here. This was a law that we passed in 2017 and it was passed by a wide margin by our legislature because they were not happy with the prescription uh, benefit managers they are entirely opaque. They claim that everything that they do is proprietary and nobody has a right to know anything about what it is that they are doing and how much money they are pocketing. And so we passed a law here in in North Dakota in 2017. We got sued. Um, Our district court upheld, largely upheld the statute, but we went to the eighth circuit and um, they overturned the ruling of our district judge um, and and declared illegal and preempted by ERISA by the federal law, um, and and that there was nothing they could do about it. Then Leslie Rutledge, an attorney, the Attorney General of Arkansas, was at the same time going up to the Supreme Court. She won in the Supreme Court. We were very happy about that. Based on that, now our case has been sent back down to the Eighth Circuit. Ethan, his uh, and his staff have uh, rounded together a very big group of supporters. Uh, I think we have 33 or 34 states, including the District of Columbia, who joined in this amicus brief, recognizing that the PBMs really need, and they really owe the, the consumers of America some transparency so that we can know if they're, what is happening and what can we do to help reduce the cost. And, and part of what we're concerned about here is, and I think you touched on this, Keith, is that this has been to the detriment of the local pharmacies, the small pharmacies that people rely on to get good, solid uh, medical information, and are intent, in many cases forcing uh, uh, patients, customers, to go online, even whether they want to or not. And that is, and that is a real concern that our pharmacy association here in North Dakota had. So thanks, Keith, for all for an excellent amicus brief, uh, and for rounding up so many people to join in.
4: You guys are awesome, man. We're in this thing together, and thank you for leading the way.
0: In Season 2, Episode 5, Maryland Attorney General Brian Frosch and Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost joined NAG to discuss how they address Medicaid fraud in their states.
3: Um, we, have a, we have a Medicaid fraud unit, and their job is to recover money that has been stolen from the state and the federal government. Uh, people have made false claims or cheated or not performed the services uh, that they said they were going to perform. And uh, if I may, I'll, I'll, uh, I'll tell you about one of them. And it, it starts with, it starts with a woman named Vonda. And uh, Vonda was suffering from advanced stage cancer. Uh, she had a tracheostomy and difficulty speaking. She had difficulty walking as well. She had lost something like 40% of her body weight. She weighed 85 pounds. I it was from West Virginia, but she was sent to a nursing home in Hagerstown, Maryland. And, uh, she was there for, for some time, uh, and though she still needed help, she still needed nursing care, uh, the administration came to her and said, you got to get out. And she said, I, I don't understand that. They said, well, your Medicaid, your Medicare benefits have run out. and. Medicare pays about twice as much as Medicaid does. She she was eligible for Medicaid, uh, but they told her, You gotta get out. And she said, Well, I, I, I have no place to go. They said, Well, if you don't leave, we're gonna call the police. So she got into a car that they provided with a woman she had never met, who took her to a townhouse in Baltimore. She'd never been to Baltimore in her life. Um, And she put her in this townhouse. She took away her benefits card. She had a West Virginia benefits card. And uh, the woman who had taken her was using the benefits card and was feeding Vonda ramen noodles and water. And that was it. Um, And uh, after a couple of weeks, Vonda figured out how to turn off the benefits card. And when she did, she was physically abused, put back into the car, taken to and dumped at a homeless shelter. And thankfully, you know, the folks at the homeless shelter were, were on top of it. They took her immediately to the emergency room of, uh, of a nearby hospital. Um, what, what was going on was there was a chain of nursing homes. There were five of them, the NMS nursing homes. And uh, they, they were throwing people out once they had reached 100 days of Medicare reimbursement, which is the limit. And replacing them instead of taking Medicaid, uh, if they had people waiting to get in, so they would throw out the people who were on Medicaid and replace them with uh, Medicare recipients. And uh, so it 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 uh, it developed into a, a case brought by our Medicaid fraud unit, and it developed also into a criminal case because there were several unlicensed assisted living facilities that were um, taking these patients and not giving them uh, any kind of care. In many cases, they fed them poorly and sent them to adult daycare sometimes, but uh, provided next to nothing else. Um, and, uh, you know, our, our Medicaid fraud unit prosecutes, you know, big cases like like that, but it also prosecutes individuals who abuse or neglect their uh their patients and uh it it's just uh heart-wrenching to see some of the things that uh, citizens of our state suffer at the hands of these uh, unscrupulous individuals and so you know we have we have a robust enforcement uh, program and uh, overall they're they're very successful on it
0: General Yost, how about in Ohio? How does the, the that kind of investigation or prosecution work with your office?
6: Well, it's kind of interesting because I had been, prior to Attorney General, I wasn't a legislator. I uh, was the auditor of state. So I handled uh, a, a lot of the investigation and numbers of work uh, from the state auditor's office and put the cases together uh, with and for the attorney general and local prosecutors. Um, so I've been I've been about this business for uh, about uh, 13 years now, and uh, it's uh, there's been quite uh, it's quite a journey. Um, I think Brian and I could probably both uh, take the next hour to talk about uh, stories. Um, I was just thinking about Michael, uh, Dr. Michael uh, Syeg, I think is the way you say his name. Um, it was in the the ninety nine point six percentile of all Medicaid prescribers um just putting out you know pounds of of opiates um to patients that he never saw uh, he when we uh, successfully prosecuted him uh, I'm thinking of another case in southeast Ohio where uh, there was uh, a fellow that was supposed to be providing treatment, uh, addiction treatment for opiate uh, uh, folks that had opiate uh, use disorder, um, and uh, was making it up, uh, billing for things that uh, weren't provided, um, uh, pro- billing for direct counseling, one on one counseling, when it was, was actually conducting group sessions. Um, So you have 15 people in and you're doing one-on-one billing, Uh, you know, your group session actually is 15 times more profitable. Um, So it's just uh, really astounding uh, some of the things that we see, and there's a huge amount of money. So I, I don't think it's going away.
0: Thank you for joining us for this episode of The People's Lawyer. We look forward to bringing you additional insights about the nonpartisan work of America's 56 state and territory attorneys general in future episodes. In the meantime, you can learn more at naag.org or email podcast at nag.org.